Amen. Good singing tonight. Thank you. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5. I want to um, give you a prayer request, if you would. A couple here tonight, add to your prayer list. Tom Corser, if you'd pray for Tom. Um, Barbara, this is Henry Cockrell, Diana Cockrell, her uh, father and, or her stepfather. Um, if you would please pray for the family. He is in hospice down at Bowling Green, and um, they're just making him comfortable. They're not expecting him to live much longer. So if you'll just pray for Tom Courser's family. Also, um, I want you to pray, if you would, please, for, uh, and I'll mention this Sunday as well, I want you to pray for um, Pastor Oscar and Zeta. Where are they at? They um, got some news this week. How old is crew? Five and a half months. They're a grandbaby. Um, and has, had, has been having some seizures um, and um, um, not able to put the baby in daycare. So Zeta's been watching the baby um, every day so, while mom's working. But they've been trying to treat the, the um, seizures. And they just found out they have a, uh, crew has a rare genetic disease that's causing these seizures. And um, because of that, what they're telling the family is he may not be able to walk, um, talk, possibly not be able to eat anything, may have to be on a uh, feeding tube. Um, something with sight as well, is that right? Uh, possibly possibly um, lose his sight. Um, so not, not good news at all. So obviously it's very devastating to the family and to um, Oscar and Zeta. This, this is not how they thought they were going to spend their golden years together, is really caring and taking care of their grandchildren. You know, they watch um, Dylan uh, a lot, and, um, and she watches the baby now a lot um, because of the seizures. So would you just pray they're going to take the baby to Cleveland Clinic? And um, they were told that none of these things are probably reversible. Um, but um, uh, there are some doctors at Cleveland Clinic that specializes in this area and may be able to give them some more specifics about how, just, just what to do, um, uh, medication, that sort of thing. So uh, they've had a really rough week. And um, if you would pray for them, the long road ahead of them, and um, keep them in prayer. How many of you would you pray for a cr little crew? Would you do that? How many of you will commit to do that? If you'll put them on your prayer list and pray, and then pray that God will give parents and grandparents grace as well in dealing with them. All right, Matthew chapter number five, and we're going to be in verse number six. We've been building um, up to this point, and uh, we call these the Beatitudes. And um, the Bible says in verse number six, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We've been taking a, a, um, each week, and I don't know, maybe five weeks or so now, into this lesson, and we've been building on these. And we started with, uh, and I, I've read through these. How many of you have read through Matthew chapter 5 and just, these are the Beatitudes. You look at each one of these almost individually, uh, each verse. When Jesus is teaching, he's teaching his disciples. He's not giving this to the multitude. He pulls the disciples apart from the multitude, and he begins to really dig into this. This is not a work salvation. He's not saying, if you do these things, you'll be saved. That's not what he's saying at all. This is what the marks of a believer. This is how a believer ought to behave. And um, we, we all want the, the, the fruit of forgiveness and, and peace. And he talks about blessed are the pure in, in heart. We want that purity in, our, uh, purity in our lives, but you don't get the, the fruits without the, the roots being there, right? You don't, you don't get the, the end of the Beatitudes unless the beginning of them are rooted in your life. And those roots, there's three roots here. We looked at poor in spirit. We looked at um, spiritual mourning and we looked at uh, meekness. And, and last week, I believe it was last week, we looked at meekness and meekness is strength, strength that's tamed. It's, it's acknowledging and seeing God's hand in your life. It's not 
overreacting to things and, and, and um, life being out of control. Or, or we looked at the scenario of a, a horse that's not tamed. And as soon as that horse gets tamed, they're used to the hand. And that's how we are. It's controlled strength. It's, it's acknowledging God's hand in your life. And we looked, at, we looked at two individuals last week. This was um, Jesus was meek. He showed his meekness. He obviously was not weak and was not uh, um, uh, spineless in any way. He was strong. He was, he was God. It's, it's God in the flesh. He had all the strength of this universe, but he submitted himself to the hand of God. He said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. We also see this meekness in the life we saw briefly in the life of Joseph, where Joseph comes to the end, uh, his father dies, and his brothers come to him, and, and they say, you know, Dad wants you to know that we're sorry and not to punish us for what we did. And the Bible says that Joseph, he dealt with them, and he began to cry and showed that meekness. He had the strength. He had the power. He could have placed all of his brothers in prison for the rest of their life. He had the control to do that, but, but he was meek. And what he said to them was this, um, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And what Joseph was acknowledging was, was simply this, God's hand in his life. He wasn't looking at the bad situations in his life. And sometimes we need to look many times, if not every time, we need to look past the difficulties and the problems and look to the hand of God. And that is, uh, allows us uh, into that, that root of meekness in our life. And we desire this life of, of forgiveness and peace and, and pure in heart. And without the roots and the, uh, of this, it, we won't desire for what we come to in this lesson tonight is blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And our goal ought to be to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and, and um, the blessing that comes with that is being filled. The first three of the roots, that first three lessons we looked at, they, they, they produce the fruit for the longing for righteousness, all right? And tonight, that, that longing, that hungering and thirsting, and Jesus is using these words. He's using that word hungering and thirsting. And I want you to really think about those words, to hunger. How many of you ever hungered? You're hungry, right? You're, you, you're, you're desiring to eat or you're thirsting and you're desiring uh, to quench that thirst. The first three things are going to produce a hunger for godliness, right? Meekness, spiritual mourning, and humility, this produces something. When someone behaves and, 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 and that is the, the poor in spirit, the spiritual mourning, the meekness or humility uh, for poor in spirit, when somebody, that is the root in their life, it produces something. And what it ought to produce is a hunger for godliness or a hunger for holiness or a hunger for righteousness. Now, the Bible speaks of, of righteousness in two, two distinct ways. And I want to I touch on this, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time tonight speaking on this, but I want to touch on this because I don't want to confuse that word for righteousness, okay? So the Bible speaks of two, two um, distinct ways, and um, it's important to understand these ways. Number one, when we look at righteousness, righteousness in the Bible, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And look with me in verse number 30. It's important to see this. The first righteousness that the Bible speaks of is the righteousness that Jesus Christ gives you and gives myself, that, that righteousness that Jesus Christ gives. And look, look in verse number 30, but of him are ye in Christ. And often when you read through the New Testament, Paul's writing, he speaks of being in Christ. You're found in Christ. And, uh, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorifieth let him glory in the Lord, the righteousness or the um, uh, or or 
that, that he's speaking of here is, is this, it's found in him, not in us. We, we cannot earn or obtain righteousness. It's only found in Jesus Christ. You cannot do anything to merit salvation. You're not, you were righteous, be, seen righteous before God because we are in Christ Jesus. All right, and so religion can't make you righteous. Good works can't make you righteous. We're righteous because we're found in Christ. Christ lived a perfect life. And I, and I understand tonight, I'm sure the majority, if not all of you, understand this, but I think it's, it's healthy for us to see this. Christ lived a perfect life. He laid down his life for us. And he offers his righteousness to all who will put their faith and trust in him. All right, the, that marvelous gift is, is, is sometimes referred to as imputed righteousness. How many of you have heard the word imputed righteousness before? That word imputed righteousness, it means this, righteousness belonging to another being counted as ours. Righteousness, imputed righteousness means righteousness belonging to another being counted as ours. What does that mean? Who does that righteousness belong to? Jesus Christ. We are righteous before God when we are in Christ Jesus. We're not righteous because of who we are. We're righteous because of who Jesus Christ is. We're found in Christ. So we're count, it's counted as ours belongs to Jesus Christ. It's imputed, imputed righteousness. And then the second righteousness that we see, and this is what uh, Jesus is speaking of in Matthew chapter number five. He's not speaking of imputed righteousness or salvation. He's speaking of this righteousness to which he calls us to as believers. He calls us to live a life of righteousness, to live a life of holiness, to live a life that's pleasing to him or that word sanctification. Look with me in first Peter chapter number two, if you would, please. First Peter two. And I only bring this up so that we realize Again, we're not working our way, right? Not the righteousness, uh, the working our way to heaven or working uh, us becoming righteous because of how we behave. We are saved because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ and the cross alone. First Peter chapter number two. Go with me to first Peter chapter number two, if you will, please. And Peter speaks of righteousness. And he says in chapter number two and verse number 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. Look with me in Romans chapter number eight. We are to live unto righteousness, Romans chapter number eight. And look with me in verse number three and four of Romans chapter number eight. And we'll look at verse three. Romans 8, verse number 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, so that the righteousness might be fulfilled in us. I received a phone call or, or an uh, email this past week, and uh, family just moved into the area and uh, looking for a church. And they said that the type of church, the denomination they go to, is uh, distance from where they moved. And so they were looking for churches. They found our doctrinal statement. And, and on our doctrinal statement, we said this, that you are saved instantaneously. And she said, can you explain that? What do you mean by that? And um, she said, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a good person, and I feel like I'm, I'm working through my salvation. And, and so what I explained to her was the difference between being instantly saved, the time you, the place, uh, the event of taking Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, receiving that gift of, G, uh, of salvation and the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. I said, that's not a process. It's not like I'm, I'm being saved I'm, 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 I'm on that path of being saved. So I'm, I'm doing all the right things, hoping that I can merit salvation. We're saved the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's instantaneous. But sanctification, that life living of, of righteousness that, that Peter speaks of, and here we find in the book of Romans, living a righteous, living a holy, living a, a life 
uh, pleasing to the Lord. That's a sanctification. How many of you would say this? Uh, since the time you got saved to this time in your life, there's been growing and maturing and spiritual growth. And, and you know that old song, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. And, and we're growing. You're not becoming more saved. You're becoming more like Christ in your, in your walk with him. Right? You can't get any more saved than the day you get saved. You're 100% saved. You can, though, in your walk with the Lord, in your spiritual maturity, and and in your study, in your growth, spiritual growth, you can become more like Christ or righteousness. And this is that righteousness, the hunger and thirsting after righteousness or righteous living. All right? Christ died so that we should live unto righteousness. In the distinguishing mark of, of those that are righteous in Christ is that they long for righteousness. Now, they hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, I'm going to give you two things about hunger. Hunger, number one, write this down. Hunger is a, is a, is a sign of, uh, of need. Would you agree with that? What, what is hunger a sign of need of? Food. Substance. You, 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 you can't live without food and water, right? You end up dying. And so hunger, what hunger tells you is you need something to fill you. you there's, there's an absence of something in your body, in your stomach, and your stomach needs this. And so hunger says to you, there's a need. It indicates, um, it's an indication um, for us of, the, of there's a need the, the mark of a true Christian is not that you feel righteous, but that you long to be more righteous than you are, or you're, you're longing to be more Christ-like every, every day. You never get to the place in your Christian life. As I said, day one, you're as saved as you're going to be. But then the sanctification takes place, the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, be, becoming uh, uh, righteous, living a righteous life, right? a holy life. We don't live that life of righteousness to obtain salvation. We do it now because we are saved. Does that make sense? Are we on the same page with that? Everybody awake? All right, good. Um, and a mark of a true believer is that we don't say, I'm righteous. There should be a hungering and a thirsting to become more like Christ. And when it comes to righteousness, the, the, the blessing, the blessed people are those that see a need for becoming like Christ. There are some Christians that simply they're saved, and so they're going to live life however they choose to live life. And they almost go back to the fact, well, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. And, and, and they will live however they want to live. But a true Christian, a mark of a true Christian is this. Now that I'm saved, I want to be found pleasing to Christ. I want to behave like Christ. I want to make the decisions Christ would have me to make. And the first three Beatitudes that we've studied, they, they, they convince us of the need, and it should bring us to a desire to want to grow. You see, a, a humble person, a humble person, a person that has spiritual mourning, it doesn't want to live with habitual sin in their life, and, and that spiritual mourning leads to a, a meekness where they understand God's hand, and, and, it, and it's, it's that controlled strength in their life, and they live out this meek life where letting God direct them, letting God guide them, not, not fighting the Lord and not fighting against the, 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 uh, the Lord, but simply letting him live out how he chooses for us to live. Those things, those attitudes in our life, the root of those things will produce then in our life a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, all right? And that's where we come to tonight. He doesn't say blessed are the righteous, but rather blessed are they that hunger and thirst after it. And so secondly, hunger is also a sign. It's also a sign of health. How many of you have ever been sick and the last thing you want to do was eat? When you're sick, you don't want to eat. You don't want food. 
The thought of food doesn't do anything for you. When you start to feel better, what's the first thing you want? Food. Hungering actually is a sign of health. In spiritual hungering or hungering after righteousness is actually a sign of spiritual health. A desire to want to grow in God's word. A desire to want to grow to be like Christ. A sign of a healthy Christian is a desire to want to be like Jesus Christ and live out that righteousness in our life. Now, hunger is more than a, a vague in, uh, uh, um, interest. Hunger is not, well, I don't know if I'm hungry. I don't know if I'm, I want anything. It's actually, it's an intense desire that motivates us to action. How many of you have been so hungry, you're motivated to action? <laughs> you are motivated to eat, right? I mean, you were already filling your plate before the food was already on the table. You know, you're, you're hungry. You've come in and, and you want something of substance. And that's what hunger is. And as Jesus is using these words in the Beatitudes, it's interesting that he uses those two words, hungering and thirsting, that, that we have to have in order for us to sustain physically. But he's not talking about us sustaining physically here. He's talking about the spiritual side. But he's using two words that we understand what when we get hungry, all we think about is food. Have you ever been so thirsty that all you think about is water? Remember when you were a kid coming in off the playground at school and the, the fish in front of you was at the, at the drinking fountain and you said, you know, what are you, a fish? Get out of the way, I'm thirsty too. And this kid was just sucking up all the water and you couldn't wait to get to that because you were so parched. You'd even push the kid or get the kid away so that you could get water. It's this, it's this intense desire that it motivates us to action. And that's what he's talking about here, an intense desire that motivates you to action. What action is that? Is righteousness, desiring righteousness in our life. It produces something that desires us to action. And that action of righteousness is not so that we can be better than someone else. It's not legalism. It's not looking down at other people. Instead, what it is, it's we desire that righteousness so that we can honor the Lord. That's, that's what this hungering and thirsting, we hunger and thirst after righteousness, not so that we can obtain something, but we understand it starts with humility. It starts with, with, with us understanding life is not about me. And, and removing pride. It starts with the spiritual mourning. I'm not going to allow my flesh to, to, to go after lust and go after sin. And, and I'm not going to allow my, myself, I'm not satisfied staying in a habitual sin. I'm, I'm mourning, spiritual mourning of that, which then leads us that next one to meekness, seeing God's hand. And when we see those things in our life, our desire then wants to be live a life pleasing to the Lord. So I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness so that I'm honoring the Lord. And what this does is whenever anyone hungers and thirsts after righteousness for the purpose of pleasing and honoring the Lord, what it does is it be, turns into helping other people, helping someone so that someone else can live their life to honor the Lord. So hunger and for righteousness, hunger for righteousness it, it arises from within. And, and uh, I want you to write this down and understand this. Hunger for righteousness arises from within, and it's formed by the Holy Spirit. All right? You cannot be righteous in your own strength. It's, it, it arises from within. It's formed by the Holy Spirit in the soul of every person who's been born again. Listen. This righteousness that he's speaking of, a lost person can't have. It, it, it only comes through, through the, the help of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not something that we have in ourselves. It's not something that we muster up and we can become. This, is, this righteousness only comes with the help of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so... Um, 
Look with me in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you would, please. Go there. Paul is telling Timothy, his young protege there, he's teaching and training this young Timothy in the ministry. He says this to Timothy, and something I want us to see here, this desire. He says in verse number 7 of chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7, he says this, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. And, and, and look at what he says, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. What, what, he's, what he's, Paul is saying to Timothy there is you need to train yourself. You, you have to, this is something that you as a believer have to train yourself, this appetite that you develop, what you're hungry for. The appetite is righteousness. It comes through the help of the Holy Spirit of God. Train yourself. Exercise thyself. I, um, I, as I was studying this, I, it, it just made me think of, of uh, Pastor Oscar. A couple years ago, um, he, had a, he had a pretty major event in his life, right? He had heart surgery. Now, Zeta, close your eyes to this, or close your ears to this, please. But Pastor Oscar was one of the worst eating staff members that we, we have here. I mean, this guy would come in with Taco Bell, pepperoni pizza, extra cheese. We'd go out to step, and, and it, was, it was, I mean, he did not eat healthy at all. He was the skinniest guy you know, but he was the most unhealthy eater. Is that not right? She's, he's next to us. I mean, I wasn't that bad, he's saying, but no, that's why he had, looking like he's so fit, his arteries were all clogged because it was pepperoni and, and um, I mean, it was like the extra grease. Somebody else would get the grease off their pizza and he's got his slice underneath of it, you know, dripping that, that grease on it. I mean, the most unhealthy person. I never saw him eat a salad. He has this, he has this, this um, uh, major event, this heart surgery, and now he eats the most healthy things. I've never seen him with a pepper. Matter of fact, I've tried to tempt him. I've said, Pastor Oscar, we got pepperoni pizza sitting in the oven in there. You want some, you can have it. And he'll say, no, I can't eat that. I said, you don't want to eat that? I didn't say I don't want to eat it. He says, I can't eat it. I've, I haven't seen him with a bag of tacos anymore. He eats like rabbit food now. And he's eating carrots. And, and I mean, he's totally changed. And so I said to him, so you don't like this food anymore? And he says, no, I love the same food that I used to love. But I have to change my appetite or what I used to love will kill me. And Zeta's monitoring all of this. And so and I'll ask him, so do you feel better? Oh, yeah, I feel much better. I feel like I got more energy. His appetite has changed. His hunger, he's still hungry, but now what he's hungering for has changed. And so I want to talk to us tonight. I want to give you a couple of thoughts here tonight and talk about these because, again, everything that we talk about with, these, uh, with the Word of God, specifically in these, these Beatitudes, is I want, to leave, I want you to leave here with application. All right, so hungering and thirsting after righteousness. How do I... How do I cultivate that godly appetite? And I want you to write these, these down, and, and um, um, I think this will help us tonight. To cultivate this godly appetite, Jesus tells his disciples, blessed or happy are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. How to cultivate that? Number one, would you write this down? You grow in your hunger for righteousness as you gain momentum from those first three Beatitudes, as we talked about. You say, what do you mean by that? That's progressive. You start from the beginning. You don't just walk in and say, all right, I want to be hungry for righteousness, and so therefore, I'm hungry. That hunger for righteousness, it grows when the root of, of poor in spirit or humility, when the root of mourning, spiritual mourning over your sin, when the root of meekness or, 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 or strength under control, when that root is there, the momentum from that is what causes us to cultivate a godly 
appetite. A godly appetite is never found in someone that is so full of pride, so full of themselves that they're, they're, they're um, um, in verse, verse number three, that they would not be considered poor in spirit or humble. You'll never find a pride-filled person hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It starts with that momentum of humility, the spiritual mourning, someone that is continuing to live in known sin. Now, they might every once in a while say, I want to, to be right with God. And I've, I've talked to so many of that people that will say, but I really do want to be right with God, but I'm not willing to give up this sin that I have. I really do. I, I really want to, to be hungry for the word of God. And But they say, but I don't understand why I'm not hungry that way I should be. I want to be, but, but you know, if I'm not hungry, you can't make yourself eat. And they, they want to be hungry, but they're not for righteousness. And it's because all the way back here, there's sin in their life that they're choosing to hold on to, and they're not willing to give up. It could be the third, as we spoke about last week, the meekness. It's, it's controlled in, in seeing God's hand in things. You see, you'll grow in your hunger for righteousness. You'll cultivate that godly appetite as you gain momentum from the first three Beatitudes. You can't get to this place, Christian, unless that root is there. You, the, the, the root, what happens, that root is formed in what begins to happen in that root. Have you ever planted a seed? And all of a sudden, after time, that seed kind of breaks through that, that dirt, and you start to see evidence. Well, what's down in that dirt? What is it? Tell me. It's roots. If you were to take, um, if you were to take a, a, a plant in your home and just snap a leaf off it or snap you know, something off it and just stick it in the dirt, what's going to happen? Why? There's no roots. We got science teachers. Am I right or wrong on that? Something like, we're talking about spiritual plants here. I knew he was going to say that. Generally, no. Generally, no. You see that? Good. He just put his mark of approval on that. If I went outside, Mr. Science Teacher, and I found a leaf that fell off a tree and I stuck it in the ground, would I grow a tree? It's going to be dead. I can want a tree. I can want it to grow. The leaf might even want to grow. But what's missing? The roots. It can't grow. It can't survive. It can't, it can't get the nutrients without the roots. Christian, you're not going to have that hungering and thirsting after righteousness without having the root system placed in your life. Number two, would you write this down? You'll grow in, in your hunger for righteousness as you practice fasting from legitimate pleasures. And, and, and I know you, you hear often Illegitimate pleasure, sinful things, bad things. Now, I'm not even going to talk about that. I want to talk about legitimate pleasures at the wrong time in our life. It will lead, it will feed, or it will feed your hunger. <clears throat> I, um, several months ago, I had told you this. I, um, I just said, you know what, I, I am... I, I, I knew I was a news junkie. I mean, when I'd get home, I'd, I'd, I'd turn the news on and just watch the news. And, and you could watch something and an hour or an hour and a half, two hours go by, and you don't even realize how much time just went by. Anybody agree with that? I'm not talking about illegitimate or sinful things here, okay? I'm talking about good things in our life, things that are fine. I, um, so what I did is I, I got rid of the uh, uh, cable and TV because I, I, it was just, it, I, I acknowledge it was controlling me. So then I found myself, I'd get home and I'd sit in the driveway for about 30 minutes and I'd come in the house and Michelle said, what were you doing out there? 
I was watch, uh, listening. I have Sirius XM in my truck, and I was listening to the radio. And she said, well, why did you get rid of the TV? You could have come in and sat with me for 30 minutes and watched the same thing you were listening to on your truck out in the parking lot or out in the, out in the um, driveway. And I said, I, wow. She's right. So you know what I did? Got rid of the Sirius XM. I'm not saying it's wrong. If you have TV and you have Sirius XM, I'm not saying it's wrong. Matter of fact, I'm saying it's okay. What I'm saying for me is, you know what I realized? It was consuming so much of my time. It was consuming, um, uh, it was filling me. It, it, it could be sports. Is there anything wrong with sports? There's nothing wrong with sports. But if it becomes what fills you and becomes what you become about, it's something legitimate. And it will start to fill your life. Is there anything wrong with, with shopping? And all the women said, no. <laughs> it's the spending part, yeah. Um, I mean, some people use video games. I, I, I just recently I was talking to someone, and they said, I said, why are you so tired? They said, man, I was up till 2.30 playing video games. This is a grown adult. And I said, you were doing what? I said, well, what are you doing up till 2.30? Well, and they told me two or three other men in the church were playing video games with them at their house. Not, not together at the same house, like networking it. Like, I said, you guys play video games till two in the morning? And they're like, yeah. I said, what do your wives think about that? They're sleeping. They don't know. You know, I'm like, no wonder you sleep during the 930 service when I'm preaching, you know? Is there anything wrong with video games? Some of them, but I mean, in general, is there anything wrong? With these teachers from MCA, I mean, I'll tell you. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with, with a video game system. If you bought a video game system for Christmas and you gave it to your kids, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about legitimate things. I remember when I was dating my wife. I was dating her, and I was also at the same time doing everything I could to study to be in ministry. You know, I look back, and, and, and again, there was times I wasn't turning in things or spending time studying things because I was on, remember those times on the phone? You know, it, it, we're almost like falling asleep on the phone, you know? Well, you want to hang up? No, you hang up. No, you hang up. You hang up first. I just want to hear you breathe. You hang up. <laughs> I really should. I got class in the morning. Yeah, but you hang up first. I don't want to hang up. Tell her, you know, mom yells up, are you still on the phone? Hang up, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you can do good things, and those good things are filling you. And it's taking away the hungering and the thirsting for righteousness. And hear me, many Christians, many Christians, I believe this is where many Christians are at. They... Some, and I'm not, again, I, I know there's the exception to everything. But I know in my life, it's not that there's some known, outrageous, continual, habitual sin. Matter of fact, if you, the, the truth is, if you were to follow me around all day long, you're not going to catch me looking at anything. You're not going to catch me drinking anything I shouldn't. You're not going to catch me smoking anything I wouldn't. You might catch me eating some things I shouldn't. But, but you're not going to be alarmed my wife has a password to every device that I have. I, if you were to go to my computer and look at the, the log on it, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't find anything. But you know what you may find? Good things that I wasted my time on. You, you might find some things that were legitimate things. And sometimes, Christian, in order for us to cultivate a godly appetite, we're always hungering for something. But in order for us to cultivate that right hunger, that godly appetite, we've got to at times practice fasting from legitimate pleasures. I, again, I use that, that analogy of the news. You know what I did? I, I will probably get a news radio again. But I knew right now, you know what I would be doing right now with all the things happening in, the, in our country? I would be glued. I found myself at times just checking the news, the first thing I'd do when I wake up. 
oh yeah, I love you, I'm sorry. I was over here checking what was happening. I would find myself even on a Wednesday looking at, before I would come in here, what's, what's going on with the news? If somebody asked me right now, what's going on in the impeachment hearing, you know what I'd say to them? I don't know. Do I want to? Yes. Do I, do I have a hunger for it? I do. But the problem is this, there were things in my life that were filling me and taking the room that I need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Does that make sense? I would challenge us this evening as a church, remove things to give time for righteousness. Look at things. Sometimes we do this, Christian, if we're not careful. I look at my life. I'm not sinning. I don't have anything in there that doesn't belong there. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living a good life, and we're, 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 we're living good lives, and we're being filled with good things, but then at the end of the day, there's no room for the best thing, and that's righteousness. And many of us could probably evaluate our lives and say this, I need to remove some things. Fasting, you know what fasting is? Well, fasting is not a diet. It's not like, it's not a, a life change. It's just a period of time where you remove something to make room for something else. You know what fasting in the Bible is? You're removing food, and what are you doing? It's just not like, hey, I've, I'm not eating, I'm fasting. No, what fasting does is during that time that you would eat, during the time that you would crave spirit or, or physical food, what you do is you replace it with time with God, fasting and prayer. And that's what, that's what righteousness, I believe there's room, there's opportunity for us to remove things, legitimate things, to give us time for righteousness. And what that will do, it will open our eyes. It would cause us to make sure that we're reevaluating. Are we truly hungering and thirsting after God's word? Are we truly hungering and thirsting after becoming more like Christ? There are situations that might happen in our lives or events that might happen, and I believe it's good to reevaluate and consider those things and come back and visit those things. And maybe there are some things in my life that I could have re should remove so that I can hunger and thirst after righteousness so that when these events or these times come back up, I handle them differently the next time. Thirdly, write this down. You're getting quiet on me here. <clears throat> I know what you're thinking. Man, that guy tells us all the bad stuff to take out of our life. Now he's trying to tell us good stuff to take out. I'm trying to help us hunger for righteousness. This is, this is exciting, and this is where the Christian has to come to. Number three, write this down. Your appetite for righteousness will grow as you believe the promise of Jesus. Your appetite for righteousness will grow as you believe the promise of Jesus. What is the promise of Jesus? The promise that he gives is this. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. What's the promise? For they shall be filled. What's that word filled mean? Satisfied. He says this. He says this. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. There is satisfaction that's going to come. It's a promise. There's an interesting verse. I want you to go with me to uh, Revelation chapter 7, if you would, please. Revelation chapter 7. <clears throat> In verse number 16 and 17. Revelation chapter 7. Now, how many of you realize and understand the book of Revelation, John saw into the future? Like, this book is already done. It hasn't happened but it, it's already done, right? You understand that? John saw into the future. These, this is the future. This is not going to change. There's no event. There's no circumstance. There's nothing that's going to change. Everything that we find in the book of Revelation is going to be played out, is going to happen the exact way God happened. Uh, God said it would. John saw into the future. Mark it down. It's done. He says this in verse number 16 of chapter 7. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. Why? For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne 
shall feed them, shall lead them into living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The Lord Jesus Christ, his promise to be filled, we see it taking place. We see his promise in Revelation chapter number seven. He promised that he will fill you. And guess what he's going to do for all of eternity? He is going to fill you. His word is true. Our appetite for righteousness will grow as we believe what Jesus says. They shall be filled. That is going to be... What, 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 what I'm saying to you, Christian, is this. We need to believe that when we live this life, the root in our life, and we go back and build that momentum. And, 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 and you know the thing about, the thing about um, uh, mourning, spiritual mourning and meekness and, and uh, humility. You know, it's not like, well, I got that done. I'm, just, I'm good with that. Sometimes we have to go back and visit that. How, how many of you ever you, 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 uh, handled a situation humbly at one point in your life? Anybody like that? Anybody humble? Nobody at all? Wow. Maybe I'll go back and re-preach that one. How many of you have been humble at one point in your life? You've been humble. No, it, I'm not tricking you. How many of you have been humble? You could have been prideful and you weren't. How's that? How many of you after that, there was an event in your life that you were prideful? How many of you, there was a time in your life that there was spiritual mourning? You, you truly, you, God, I'm sorry for this sin. How, anybody like that in your life? How many of you after that time, you got involved in sin? How many of you would say this? There was a time in my life where I was meek. And there's a time in my life that I wasn't meek. Anybody like that? So at times we have to go back and revisit those things and work on those things. And what does that do? Because we're never going to achieve perfection. And so, yes, I, I, I'm trying to get this in my life. And yes, I sin. And, and I go back and I revisit that. And, and what does that do? That then gives me a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. In a hunger and thirst for righteousness, believing that, 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 that Jesus is going to fill me. He's going to take care of that satisfaction in my life, that being satisfied. Have you ever gone and, and uh, you're really, really hungry, but what you were offered to eat, you didn't want? When we went to Israel, we were there. And, and when we first got there, I love Mediterranean food. I, love hummus, I loved hummus and cucumbers. And, and I mean, I loved, matter of fact, I would, my, one of my favorite places to lunch, I would go and just eat hummus and smell like garlic for four days afterwards. I mean, I loved it until I went to Israel and I haven't eaten it since last October because every single, I'm talking every meal, what are we having for breakfast? Hummus. What are we having for lunch? Hummus. What's for dinner? Hummus. I mean, that's all there was with, well, I mean, they had cucumbers to, to dip it in. But I mean, I got to a place, I, I said, I can't eat any more hummus. I'm done. Darwin Kaiser was with us on the trip. Darwin Kaiser said, I saw, he was late at night one night. He said, I saw a McDonald's down the road. What would I have to pay you to go get me a cheeseburger and a milkshake? I said, well, open your wallet. Let me see how much you got. <laughs> Michelle and I walked. I have no idea where we were. I don't know if it was a safe neighborhood. But her and I walked because he offered to buy me a cheeseburger if I would go and get him a cheeseburger and a chocolate milkshake. We came back. It was chocolate milk by the time we got back because the walk was far and it was hot. And I go there, and, and I didn't even realize this, in, in uh they, it's kosher. You can't order the same. You can't even order this. You got to go to one register. Can I have a cheeseburger? You can't have cheese on your burger. What? You can. Can I have cheese? You can have a. You can order cheese at that register, but you got to order your meat at this register. Can I have? Can I have a milkshake with that? You got to order your milkshake. You got to go to different registers and order each of these. But I didn't care <laughs> because I didn't want hummus. And I went a few meals after that because I said, I'm not eating. I'm not eating hummus anymore. We all got to that place. We couldn't, we were hungry, but what they were offering, I didn't want. 
Here, we have to believe this, what Jesus is offering, it will satisfy us. It will fill us. When we are filled with righteousness, it keeps us. It then enables us um, to go that next step, which is a peaceable life. I want to be pure in heart. I'm tired of sinning. I'm tired of, 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 of not having a pure heart. Well, I might want that, but it all comes back to that beginning where, well, it starts with the root. And, and when these roots are established, what it produces in my life is a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now, through that hungering and thirsting, believing that he's going to fill me, you know what it produces in my life? The peace that I'm looking for. It produces that purity of heart. I want to forgive. I don't know how to forgive. Well, you've got to go back, and this root has to be there. What it does is produces that hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And when I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and I'm filled with Jesus, you know what? He gives me forgiveness. You can't have peace. These next things that we will look at in the next couple weeks, you can't have peace. You can't have forgiveness. You can't have contentment. You can't have that pure heart that you'd so much want without hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It only comes because Jesus Christ gives it to you. You can't have peace without him. You can't have forgiveness without him. But you can't get to that place until we hunger and thirst. And thirdly, our appetite for righteousness, it will grow when we believe the promise of Jesus. When Jesus says, you will be filled. Christ is our righteousness. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And hear me, when you taste of hunger and thirst, when you taste of, of righteousness, you will be satisfied. And when we're satisfied, then and only then, look with me next, go back to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. As we look into the study in the future, we're moving from the root to now what is established from that root, that hungry and thirsting, now we're going to look for the fruit that comes for those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we'll look at that next week. Father, I pray you help us to apply these things to our life. Lord, I pray that it's righteousness that's filling us. Lord, I pray that it's righteousness, it's godliness, it's holiness that's satisfying us. Make room, Lord, I pray in our lives so that we can be filled with this. And Lord, if there's areas, if there's legitimate things that are fine, they're, they're not sinful. They're just taking up room that righteousness needs to be. Lord, may we believe your promise and know that I'm not going to lack. I'm not going to be hungry. I'm not going to thirst when I let you feed me. I'll be fulfilled. I'll be satisfied. So Lord, help us to live this kind of righteous life, Lord, so that we can become like you. Help us in this process of sanctification. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Lord bless you. Have a wonderful week.